Welcome to Staying the Course. Join us as we navigate the uncompromised Word of God with Pastor Brett Peterson. All right, you may be seated. Good morning. How are you today? You know, it's nice. In the sun, it was a little hot, but in the shade, it gets cold. But that's the beauty of this time of year. If you're hot, you can sit in the sun. Uh, if you're, uh, wait, if you're hot, you can sit in the shade. Or if you're cold, you can move out to the sun. So God bless you and welcome. We started a series last week through the little books of the Bible. You know, the tiny little books that are so small, but they're packed full of such large messages. And we began to go through the book of Jude. And Jude is really all about contending for the faith that was once and for all handed down to the saints. And more than that, it's revealing the apostate church, what the apostate Christians really look like. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Jude chapter 1, and we made it to verse 4. That's Jude chapter 1, and we made it to verse 4, and it says this, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Let's just pick this out a little bit. Right at the beginning in Jude chapter 1, verse 4, a, it says, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. What did they come into? The church. You know, he is writing this to the church, and it's like certain persons have come into your church, and they are part of apostate Christianity. It says marked out. In the Greek, that word is prographo. Literally, pro means before. Grapho means to write. So really, that's kind of a poor translation. The idea here is long beforehand, it was written about them that they would apostatize in the last days. Literally, it should read persons who were previously written about, and Judas is referring to the prophecies written down in Matthew 24. Many of Paul's letters and Peter's letters, and in fact, we'll find that Jude is a letter that literally restates what Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 2 and parts of 2 Peter chapter 3. Real quick, I just wanted to go through some of the similarities. I mean, literally the letter almost goes point by point in what Peter wrote. And that's why he said they were marked out before. They were written about through Peter. And I'm going to tell you about them again. So 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 1 says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying, or literally in the Greek, contradicting the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. 
That literally goes with Jude chapter 1, verse 4. For certain persons have come in, long beforehand marked out for the condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord or contradict Jesus Christ. Peter goes on to say in 2 Peter 2, 2, many will follow their sensuality. And by the way, in Jude chapter 1, verse 4, licentiousness literally is sensuality, the same word. And the way of the truth will be maligned. 2 Peter 2, 4 says, For God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the pits of darkness reserved for judgment. Jude goes, again, this is, he almost like copied Peter's letter. So in Jude chapter 1, verse 6, the angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for judgment of the great day. Restating exactly what Peter said. Peter 2, 6 says, and he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and destruction. Jude 1, 7 says, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities uh, were condemned. Second Peter 2, 9 and 2, 10 talk about these apostate Christians who are reviling authority. Jude 1, 8 is going to get into that. They reject authority. They revile angelic majesties. So you can do a comparison yourself and go through Second Peter chapter 2 with Jude, and they literally restate the same thing. Some scholars say that Jude was really just, what is it when you copy? They say it was just plagiarism, that Jude plagiarized Peter. Folks, I want to tell you this. Men are moved by the Holy Spirit when they wrote the 66 books of the Bible. They were inspired by God, and God had Jude rewrite what Peter wrote for a specific purpose. God literally ordained Jude to write this. Remember we figured out last week in the introduction in Jude chapter 1, well, there was only one chapter, 25 verses, But Jude said, I wanted to write to you what? Who remembers? Man, a letter just to encourage you in our common faith. But I was compelled to write this to you. Literally compelled was pushed by God, inspired by God to write this. You know, God speaks in stereo. In 2 Peter 3.3, Peter wrote, Know this first of all, that in the last days, are we in the last days? When did they start? 1917. Some of you are like, why do you say that? Because in the Old Testament, God predicted over and over, when I gather my children Israel from the four corners of the earth and bring them back to the land, when I do that, that is the end time. That begins it. 1917, British took over Palestine, Israel, and they called the Jews back to the land fulfillment of biblical prophecy. That's when literally the end time curtain started. So in the last days, that's the days we're living. Note the 2 Peter 3.3. Mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust. And he's talking about in the church. Jude chapter 1 verse 18 talks about the same thing. And they were saying, in the last times, there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. 
You see, God speaks in stereo, and he wants us. I really believe end-time warriors for Christ. You know, in the days in which we live, to recognize the apostate Christians when we see them. To recognize, and Judah's going to give us some clues. Today we're going to go over five characteristics. They're on your handout. Sorry, the formatting on the back of the handout didn't come out that well, but we can sum up their characteristics in this, and it's at the bottom of the back page of your handout. Their character, they have no reverence. Their conduct, they have no restraint. And their creed, they have no regulation. Folks, these are the Christians that I am confident you know some that say we only focus on the essential. That's Christ. If you have faith in Christ, you're good. You can still live however you lived before. There's no transformation. There's, there's no holiness. Folks, that's signs of the apostate church. So back to our text, Jude chapter 1, verse 4. Let's just pick it apart. For certain persons have crept in to the church unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So the first two qualities we find in this verse of apostates are number one, they will use grace to justify sin. God's grace is sufficient. I can continue on in a lifestyle of sin because God's grace will abound. What did Paul say? Shall we continue in sin that His grace may abound? May it never be. But the apostate church will have this false love. What is false love? False love says, even though I see my brother or sister doing something they should not do that displeases God, I'm just going to love them. I'm not going to correct them. That's false love. Real love corrects people who either believe or practice in error. Does that make sense? In fact, we're commanded to reprove, rebuke, and exhort, but with great patience and love. Number two, they will deny, literally contradict Christ's teachings. The apostate church will contradict the teachings of Christ. Do you know that the whole New Testament is Christ's teaching? In John chapter 1, we're told Jesus is what? The, the Logos, the Word. And He, the Holy Spirit, inspired the New Testament writers to write what they wrote. And everything written in there, literally God wrote, they were just the scribes. So the commands of Christ, the teachings of Christ are the whole New Testament. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11-14, through 14, where we get the only instruction on how to do church, I can tell you most churches don't follow that instruction. Wow. They will deny or contradict the teachings of Scripture. Paul wrote about them in 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers, note this, in accordance with their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to miss. 
I remember several years ago when, I don't know, we were about 60 strong, this church. Everybody moved since then back east. But I got a call from a guy, and he said, hey, man, we, I, I really want to come to your church. Uh, I'm rich, and I, I want to build you a church. I'm going to buy the land. I'm going to build the church. Do you remember this, Pastor Chris? And uh, I'm like, wow, you know, man, have you prayed about this? <laughs> and uh, he goes, oh, but uh, one caveat, um, my partner and I will attend church together. And I'm like, oh, that's fine. Your business partner, you know, that, it, it, no, my, my, my partner. And I'm like, well, no, you're welcome to church. We'll love you. Your first Sunday you're here, we're going to hug you and welcome you. The second Sunday, I'm going to correct you and say you cannot live in a lifestyle of sin. Well, they obviously never came to our church. <laughs> oh, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. Hey, if you teach this sin is okay, I I'm going to give you millions of dollars. And many denominations and pulpits around the world have succumbed to compromise and have become part of the apostasy. They will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to miss. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says, But false prophets will arise among you, and there will be false teachers who secretly introduce destructive heresies. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. Remember Jude said, we contend earnestly for the faith that was what? Once and for all handed down to the saints. Meaning the Bible is complete. When John finished uh, writing the book of Revelation, the Bible was complete. There will be no more Bibles. No, no more books that God inspires. Oh, sure, God will speak through us prophetically. Maybe you've experienced that. You're talking to someone and the Holy Spirit puts something on your heart to share with them. And, and you speak prophetically inspired by God in that circumstance. But we're not going to write another book and then add it to the Bible. The Bible's complete once and for all handed down to the saints. Their teaching and their prophecies are literally doctrines of demons. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-3 through 3, talks about these apostates. And it says, but the Spirit explicitly says, meaning, hey, this is going to happen. Why do you think it's repeated over and over in Scripture? Hey, end time church, look out for the false brethren. In fact, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1-3, through 3, Paul wrote concerning the rapture. Now concerning the coming of our Lord and our gathering together to Him, see to it that you are not quickly shaken or disturbed either by letter or message as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord, which starts with the rapture, has come. Let no one deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first, the falling away from truth. And we see it in denominations all over the world today. So the Spirit explicitly says, back to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-3, through 3, 
In the last days, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. You know, I've heard some of these false pastors and false prophets say, man, I had this dream, and it was so profound. Let me share it with you. But one, it, it was all okay. That, that's kind of okay. I, I mean, it doesn't... Con- oh, but that one point contradicts what Paul wrote in Romans or, or what Jesus said in Matthew 24. So it can't be from God. That's how Satan works. Satan comes in as an angel of what? Light to deceive many. They'll be paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons and by means of hypocrisy of liars sear their own conscience with a branding iron. So back to our text. And here Jude, what's his name really in the Greek? Judas. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's the English translators that changed his name to Jude. But in the original text, it's Judas. They didn't want to confuse Jude. Hi, buddy. Hey, balloons and kids belong in church. Remember when the apostles were arguing about who was greatest? Jesus said, bring that little child to me. He said, man, unless you humble yourself like this little child, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. That childlike faith in our heavenly Father. Can I just go down a little rabbit trail here? Whatever you're facing, you are a precious child of God. He loves you. He is for you. He has your rear guard. And even if you failed him, like the prodigal son, he's waiting, just waiting for you to run to him so he can put that robe of righteousness on and that ring of authority on your finger. You are loved by God this morning. I want you to know that. Jude chapter 1, we made it to verse 5. Here, Judas is going to remind us that these apostate Christians are going to be judged. Now, I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. Who were the ones who didn't believe? Okay, they come out of Egypt and they come uh, across the Jordan from the promised land and Moses sends in those spies to spy out the land. All the spies said, there's no way we can defeat them. Man, they're giants in this land. This is a big, mean people. And the land is filled with grapes. And they had to carry grapes on, on, a, on a thing. Just a, The grapes must have been so huge. Just an amazing, beautiful land. Only two of the spies said, hey, God will give us this land. Amen? But the whole nation believed the other spies, and they all died those 40 years in the wilderness. So he says in Jude 1.5, I want to remind you that God destroyed all those that came out of Egypt because they did not believe. They did not trust God. Verse 6, and the angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the day of judgment. It's interesting about this, and we're going to pick that apart in a minute. But these angels are all 
arrested. They are all in jail, we could say, potentially the bottomless pit, awaiting final judgment. This whole class of angels that didn't keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, or their proper use of their body. Abode there can be your body where your spirit dwells, or a house. And I'm not sure angels have houses. They might in heaven. The Bible really doesn't say. I guess they could. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Verse 7. And just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these, speaking of the angels, indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in the undergoing of punishment of eternal fire. So we have to talk about this class of angels. What did they do? Well, we just read in verse 7, these angels, they're, they're all in the bottomless pit, more than likely, just as Sodom and Gomorrah, Jude chapter 1, verse 7, and the cities around them, since they, the angels, in the same way as these, those of Sodom and Gomorrah, indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh. Now, this is uncomfortable, but I'm just preaching what the Bible says, not my opinion of what the Bible says. Does that make sense? It says these angels went after strange flesh. What in the world? That's crazy. Well, it's reminiscent of Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and the Nephilim. It says in Genesis 6, chapter 1, Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he is flesh. Nevertheless, his days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. If you've ever taken hermeneutics, who knows what that is? You should know that by now. The science of interpreting ancient texts. And biblical hermeneutics, we have solid rules that we have to go by to come to the right interpretation of the text. One of those rules is called expositional consistency. It means if a word or a phrase is defined elsewhere, typically in two or three other passages of Scripture, that will hold throughout Scripture. Do you know that the term sons of God in the Old Testament is only used to refer to angels? In all the Old Testament, let me give you a few verses. Job 1.6, now there were, was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. Interesting. Okay, those are angels. How about this? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, when, when they created, when God they watched creation and they worshiped God, the sons of God in the Old Testament always refers to angels. So in Genesis chapter 6, when it says the sons of God saw the daughters of men, and then Jude clarifies they went after the angels who went after what? Strange flesh. 
Not their own kind. So there had to be a class of angels that could procreate in heaven. Okay, this is just theory. Now I'm stepping away from the pulpit. This isn't in the Bible, but we can conjecture that there's a class of angels that could procreate in heaven, but some of them left their own abode in heaven. That's what Jude said. And they came to earth and went after strange flesh, mankind. All of the angels, all of that class, and by the way, there's tons of different kinds of angels. Some have wings. Some have seven wings. I mean, some look like us. The Bible says we entertain angels unaware. But the ones that could procreate that class, and this isn't in the Bible, so please don't quote me as I'm saying this dogmatically. This is theory. This is conjecture, but it seems to fit. They are all in the bottomless pit awaiting judgment. None of the angels that are active or demons that are active can now do that. Does that make sense? That whole class that could do that are arrested. Okay. <laughs> In the bottomless pit. Okie dokie. Back to our text. Jude chapter 1 verse 8. I'm, I'm back at the pulpit so now I can preach. Conjecture. Preach. Okay. <laughs> Remind me if I'm ever saying something conjecturally. Is that a word? To step away from the pulpit. Because this is sacred ground right here. Jude chapter 1 verse 8. Yet in the same way, these men, the apostate, the false teachers, the false prophets, also by dreaming defile the flesh or the body and reject or disregard authority and revile angelic majesties. So here we find the next three characteristics. Let me go over the first two, number three and four, and then we'll do five in a minute. They are dreamers and make the body unclean or defiled or polluted. They're the false prophets in the church and the dreamers in the church that declare things that don't uphold the Word of God and the holiness of God and the reverence of God and the character of God. But they bring things into the church that are not from God. Let me give you an example. Have you ever heard of the holy laughter movement? All right, so this is a big charismatic movement in charismatic churches all around the world. And they will come to a worship service and begin to worship God, and then someone will start laughing. You can look it up on YouTube. It is the most irreverent, disrespectful, it is not a move from God's spirit, it's a move from Satan making a mockery of our worship and praise to a holy God. And then the whole church begins to laugh hysterically and fall out of control. In fact, some of them, that feeling of being drunk, and that's how they describe it, stays with them to the next day. Remember in the last days, people will pay attention to deceitful spirits. I don't doubt that there's a spirit there, but it's not the spirit of the Lord. It's the spirit of Satan. It's demonic activity. Making a mockery. Some of these churches do, uh, will also start barking or growling. I mean, just think about it. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, here's how we can judge people by their fruit. Are you with me? Love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. The false revival, you always lose control. And you can watch some of these charismatic churches. It is disorderly. It is yeah, a mockery. Dreamers, they defile or pollute the body. And number four, they disregard or set aside authority. And authority there in the Greek is kuritos, which comes from the Greek word kurios, which is Lord. They despise any authority. All right. The apostate church introduces doctrines and practices, the church uh, that aren't in Scripture. If a church is doing something that is not in the Bible, believe me, you shouldn't be a part of that church. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, and I already told you, chapter 11 through 14, how to do church. In fact, in that, that, that passage, it talks about how to operate the gifts. It says, when you come together and one has a tongue, let each one speak his tongue in order and let one interpret. Two or three speak in tongues and let one interpret. If there's no interpreter, they must keep silent in the church. And some of these churches you'll go and everybody's speaking in tongues. The Bible, they are contradicting Christ's command to the church because in chapter 14, Paul ends that section. This isn't my command. This is the command of the Lord. This whole section on how to do church. And Jude tells us these men all have no regard for the authority. They will contradict the teaching of Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2, 16 and 17, remember Jude goes with Peter, 2 Peter, but this is 1 Peter. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil. What did Jude start the letter with? They take the grace of God and turn it into licentiousness or sensuality or a license to sin. As free men, do not use your freedom as a covering for eagle, but as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. A true Christian, we respect the authority. The fifth characteristic. They revile, or literally in the Greek, that word revile is blaspheme. They blaspheme angelic majesties. It's interesting to note that angel, angelic isn't even in the original Greek here. But majesties is, and literally that word in the Greek is glories. It's doxa, kind of like where we get doxology. It means glories. Other places it's translated praise or glorious, like the glorious appearing of Christ. That's the word used here. So they blaspheme glories, kind of like the Jewish rulers did in John chapter 12, verse 41 through 43. It says, these things Isaiah said, because he saw his glory and he spoke to him, speaking of the pre-incarnate Christ. Nevertheless, many of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory of men rather than the glory, same word, doxa, of God. Interesting. And the apostate church will do the same thing. Philippians 3, 18 
And 19 says, For many walk of whom I told you, and now tell you, even weeping, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And now he's talking about in the church, whose end is destruction, note this, whose God is their appetite, whose doxa, their glory, is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Remember when uh, Jesus cast the demon out of the men? In Matthew chapter 12, Starting in verse 24, and the Pharisees heard about that, and they said, This man casts out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. Skipping down, Jesus says in verse 31, Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. So when Jude, these men blaspheme the glories, and in Matthew, the Pharisees blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? It's the same idea. It could be as the Pharisees attributed the work of God to Satan, these false prophets and false apostles who are doing works through Satan's power might attribute that to God. Are you with me? It's blasphemy in the reverse direction against the glories which could include angels or angelic majesties which demons are. Are you with me? So they do the same thing the Pharisees did, but in the reverse. Oh no, barking in the Spirit is from God. No, it's not. It's from Satan. No, when you disrupt the worship of a holy God in a solemn, holy congregation with holy laughter, that's a work of Satan. And false prophecy, they say God told me, but no, it was actually demonic spirits, remember, that, that said that they will listen to demonic spirits. So they are blaspheming in the reverse. False revival. You know these false prophets will do miracles in these last days. In Matthew 24, 24, Jesus said, For false Christ and false prophets will arise in the last days and show great signs and wonders, even to mislead, if possible, the elect. Folks, we need to be ready for a false revival in the church. Back to our text, we made it to Jude chapter 1, verse 9, and we have nine minutes. I think we're doing good. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. The whole idea of someone saying the Lord rebuke you is only recorded in Scripture in one other place, Zechariah chapter 3, verse 2. And it says, the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. And it's very interesting. Some scholars try to say, well, Jude is trying to quote Zechariah. He's not. <laughs> The story of Michael and Satan disputing over the body of Moses is not found in Scripture or any other book in existence today. However, there is an old 
Christian writer and theologian called Origen. Ever heard of him? Yeah. And he wrote this, that Jude is quoting from the, the book, The Assumption of Moses. So it had to exist in about 190 A.D., but it no longer exists, the assumption of Moses. By the assumption means the taking up of Moses. Now that's very interesting because the assumption of Moses was a letter, possibly pseudepigrapha or apocryphal, that no longer exists, but Jude apparently quoted and it talks about the taking up of Moses. What happened to Moses? He died, right? Yeah, he died. A body is just a tent. It goes back to dust. So why would Michael and Satan argue over Moses' body? Well, first, let's read this. In Deuteronomy 32, remember Moses struck the rock twice instead of speaking to it, and God said, you will not enter the promised land. And in Deuteronomy 32, 49, go up to this mountain, this is God speaking to Moses, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, opposite Jericho, and look at the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the sons of Israel for their possession. Then die on the mountain where you ascend and be gathered to your people as Aaron, your brother, died on Mount Hor and was gathered to his people. Because you broke faith with me in the midst of the sons of Israel as the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin, because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the sons of Israel. Just because Moses struck the rock, he was going to die looking at the promised land, but never getting to go into it. Elijah, there was assumption of Elijah as well. Remember that. In 2 Kings 2.11, As they were going and talking, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire that separated the two of them, and Elijah went up in the whirlwind to heaven. Only Elijah and Enoch never died in the Bible. Remember, Enoch walked with God, and he was, and then he was not. And Hebrews 11.5 says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up, for he had obtained the witness uh, and was taken up to be pleasing to God. So the Bible is the inspired Word of God. And for Jude to quote or talk about a story that is only recorded in a book that no longer exists, the assumption or the taking up of Moses... The only conclusion is that God sent Michael to raise Moses from the dead. Why would he do that? Who appeared at the Mount of Transfiguration? Two men did. Luke chapter 9, verse 29. And while he was praying the appearance of his face, Jesus became different. His clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, Two men were talking with him, and they were Enoch and Elijah. No, Moses and Elijah. So God, even though Moses had to die because of what he did, God was going to raise him back up so that he could appear to represent the law and the prophets. 
Does that make sense? Okay. Notice it doesn't say the spirit of Moses. It says two men. All right. Moses and Elijah met Jesus on the mountain to be the two greatest witnesses that Christ was Messiah. Moses representing the law and Elijah representing the prophets. They physically got to see the Lord Jesus Christ and become the greatest witnesses both to the law and the prophets that Christ is the Mashiach, the Messiah. Amen? Matthew 17, uh, starting in verse 2, we've got a few minutes. Worship team, come on up. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. His garments became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Oh, wow. And there's going to be two witnesses in the last days in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 11. And they're going to do the same miracles that Moses and Elijah did, the exact same ones. And they will be killed and lie in the street for three and a half days. Folks, I would figure that they're going to be Moses and Elijah representing the law and the prophets in Jerusalem trying to convince the Jews that are left that Christ is the Messiah. Oh, we saw him transfigured on the mount. He died for your sins. Would you stand? You know, this week, the challenge this morning is the apostate church will have no regard for the authority or lordship of Jesus Christ. So this week, just for us, in your own daily devotions, I, I would encourage you, Jesus, what area of my life are you not Lord of? What area of my life have I kept that I'm still king and Lord of that area? Oh, I've surrendered all but this. <laughs> this week, let's surrender all. Let's, let, let, let's literally allow Christ to become Lord of our lives so that we can be pleasing children unto a holy God. Amen. God bless you. Let's sing this song to the Lord. Thank you for listening to Staying the Course with Pastor Brett Peterson. If you would like a copy of this message or would like to submit a prayer request or comment, contact us at 949-888-5777 or email us at info at ccbcu.edu. God bless you as you seek and serve him. Remember, stay the course, and we'll see you next week. I love
love your word. I love.